0: If they're good enough, they get to the Cup Series. So many folks, they don't even get there. And even if they do, their time is limited unless they're really, really good. So except it's not Quinn some. Except, except Quinn Houth. Except Quinn God bless you. We're really giving you a hard time. Welcome to Going In Tight.
1: Coming Out Loose. Hello everybody and welcome back to Going In Tight, Coming Out Loose. We appreciate you all for listening. One exciting thing that some of you might know about is we have released our first three episodes this past week and we are excited to be bringing you our fourth. Uh, We wanted to start out this week talking about some of the feedback that we got. We had one of our buddies call in and ask some questions. And, you know, we want to get back to the basics. While we are trying to reach out to NASCAR fans, really scratch that itch for everybody who is in and out watching races every weekend. Uh, We want to make sure that we're opening the sport up and bringing in some new people as well. So. Bart's going to bring us some of the history of NASCAR and bring us up to speed on the rules and how everything got started with this sport back in 1948.
0: Yeah. So we definitely, like Chris was saying, want to be a NASCAR podcast, but we definitely want new eyeballs on the sport and explaining the rules and the history of it from a fan's point of view and not reading a rule book is something we have no problem doing. So just getting you up to speed, um, like Chris was saying, in 1948, the uh, NASCAR series was founded on the beaches of Daytona. And the reason the whole thing started was a bunch of moonshiners uh, were souping up their cars to outrun the police. Well, those moonshiners wanted to see who had the fastest cars, So that's basically how NASCAR started. Very American and uh, definitely a p- piece of history that it all started around prohibition and running oh, yeah. an illegal product. Um, So, fast forward to this day, NASCAR is only second in popularity in fan base to the NFL in America. So, you may hear people say NASCAR is in decline, or nobody watches NASCAR, nobody cares, or I used to like it. It's -hmm. it's still one of the most watched sports in America. So, don't let that fool you. It still has a giant fan base to this day. So, each year, there's 36 races. It starts about mid-February with the Daytona 500 and wraps up in... Um, this year, it'll be Phoenix in about the second week of November. So it's a pretty long season. There's 36 races. Most of those races in the Cup Series, they fall on either a Saturday or Sunday. There are feeder series, just like any sport, where uh, the younger drivers, the newbies, they get their start. So those leagues are called k Series, ARCA Trucks, uh, which is called the uh, Gander Mountain Truck Series, I believe, um, and then the Xfinity Series. Uh, historically NASCAR has had sponsors as the name of the series. So you may hear Winston Cup. Well, that was the name of the series for a good amount of time, which is a a brand of cigarettes. So um, it went through different phases from cell phone companies to uh, energy drinks, but is now called the NASCAR Cup Series. So there is no sponsor associated with it anymore. There are four types of tracks that we will run each year. One is called a short track, and that is any track that's up to a mile in length. So typically pretty short. Um, intermediate is anything that's one mile to two miles long. Super Speedway is a very high speed race that is on a two mile plus banked track. And then you have your road courses. So those are the courses um, that are more so left right, something you'd see more so in Indy car or uh, F1. We do race those. There are three manufacturers at this point, Ford, Chevy, and Toyota. Uh, Like we were talking about last week, there are 19 sanctioned teams and 36 cars. Part-timers are allowed to fill that 40-car field. Anybody can start a team and run run one if you can qualify for the race. Um, Because there are speed mandates that you have to be up to a certain speed uh, to be able to race, say that there wasn't 40 cars to even qualify. Uh, You have to meet a certain speed. Manufacturers often work together, but ultimately they are competitors. Same with teammates. They often work together. You'll see them work together in strategy, but ultimately they're competitors. So there comes a time in the race where they will not work together. It's every man for themselves. A team cannot run more than four cars. So most of them have one to two. It's a lot of money to field a car. Uh, So there's only, I think maybe three, two or three teams that actually have four cars on their team. Uh, Most drivers, like anything, they start at the very bottom. So they're going to start at the local track that's right down the road from you. And that could be a variety of things from go-karts or dirt tracks or midgets, quarter midgets, modified, open-wheel modifieds. Um, There's a variety of different racing that people get their start in. But ultimately, they work their way up, find their way to asphalt eventually. And if they're good enough, they get to the Cup Series. So many folks, they don't even get there. And even if they do, their time is limited, and let's say really, really good. So it's except not It's Except Quinn Half. God bless you. We've really given you a hard time. A uh, Race, um, not only is it strategy, not only is it quality of car, but it's endurance. So most of the Cup Series races you'll see are 300 to 500 miles long, the longest being the 600-mile uh, race that we run at Charlotte, uh, generally at the end of May before they get going, there's always two practices, sometimes three. They're one hour in length. And the, the term that people use to, um, to describe them, they're called happy hours because they're one hour in length. And that's a chance for all those drivers to go out, get their car in in line and tune with what they're, they're wanting to, to get the speed that they're looking for or set it up for qualifying so they can get a good qualifying speed um, out of their car. Um, and then test different things like pit stops and Um, Just fine-tune anything before the race. During the COVID um, pandemic, there hasn't been any practice or hasn't been any qualifying. So it's really been interesting to see who that doesn't really matter much to to folks and then who that really has been impacting. After they do those practices, they will qualify. They generally have one, one or two laps depending on the size of the racetrack, and that time sets the field of 40. So the pole is the first position. You'll hear somebody won the pole. So that is somebody who got the fastest lap uh, during the qualifying stages. Um, There are points for a variety of things Um, during a race. There are three stages. So the race is cut into three sections. This is relatively new for NASCAR. It's only been around maybe three or four four years. Mm -hmm. And the race uh, itself is gonna be like, 30, 30, 90, or 60, 60, 120, something like that. So there's those two stages give you the effect of a finish, um, which is, in my eyes, more exciting. Um, some people don't feel that way, um, but people are more competitive at the end of that stage because there are points associated with the top 10 drivers who finish those stages. So first stage, second stage, and then the third stage will conclude the race. There's a ton of strategy around this. So pit stops, um, you're getting tires each time, sometimes not, sometimes you get two tires. Um, it really depends on the track and how much wear and tear is coming out of those tires and how well your driver is able to take care of those. Um, you can make adjustments on the car. You'll hear people talk about wedge adjustment or the splitter. They're all just changing little things on the car to make it either loose, um, less loose or more tight um, so they can get around the racetrack in, in a comfortable way where they find speed. Um, and then gas, sometimes gas doesn't matter, sometimes it does, especially in longer tracks. So you'll see a lot of drivers, they'll shut off the engine during uh, caution laps, and that's in order to conserve fuel, which is all around strategy. Should you pit, should you not? Um, it really um, is a huge driver in, in the race itself. Um, the pit crew itself is mostly former athletes, um, a lot of football players involved, These tires are very heavy, so you're throwing them around. Their pit stops um, can take anywhere from 12 to 17 seconds, which is crazy if you think about what all they're doing and how much practice and coordination goes into that. So that is a big piece of winning the race, is making sure that you're choosing the right strategy and all the pieces of the puzzle are coming together. Drafting and aerodynamics play a huge role at Tracks. So, drivers' understanding of these aspects of racing, of this aspect of racing, can really impact um, where a driver finishes. You'll see different drivers who've really cracked the code on short tracks, um, but they cannot race a super speedway to save their life. So, um, figuring out how to draft and use the air uh, to move your cars around and um, pick up speed and slow someone down is really important that you figure that out. There is a regular season to this. So February through August is the regular season. Once August hits, this year will be Daytona. That will be the final race of the regular season. So 16 cars, the top 16 cars and points, they will go into the playoffs. And each three races, four drivers will be dropped up until the final race in Phoenix where four drivers will be left. And whichever driver of that group of four finishes uh, the best, then they are the winner of the Cup Series. So um, this is how... I would want to be explaining the sport there's definitely so many small details and diff- different things you would find out over a period of time of watching um but this is just getting you up to speed on on how the sport works and all the details and the rules and regulations and how it all works.
1: Yeah and you know I think that's a perfect synopsis part of how racing got started and it kind of shows how things have evolved. The the other question that we had come in from uh, our caller Travis was he wanted to know who we should be follow or who he should be following uh, after you and I talked about you know your fandom for Chase Elliott my fandom for Jimmy Johnson and then uh, we were both talking about how we're kind of uh, Hendrick guys and so we root for those guys if our driver hasn't made his way uh, to the top of the pack so
0: yeah, and I get that question a lot too with different friends that I I try to poke into to watching NASCAR races. They, they want to know who they, they need to root for. And ultimately, it's really up to them. But um, I will say the sport as a whole and watching it and the enjoyment that you're going to get is so much better when you have a driver to root for it. So it's Absolutely. really important when, when you become a NASCAR fan or watch a race that you have somebody that you want. And like I was saying in a previous episode, I can appreciate most drivers. So when I see... Uh, Martin Truex Jr. win, or I see Kevin Harvick win. It doesn't necessarily grind my gears too much, but it's, it's just part of it. You're not going to see your driver win every race, but you don't hate everybody in the sport. Um, but there are some key components that I think there are when it comes to figuring out which driver that you like. So for me, I look at dedication. So how hard did they push to get to the top? Are they putting in the time? And did they put their pay their dues in the lower tiers to really prove themselves that they are a quality driver? So I like to see somebody who's really put in the time. They're not writing on their name or writing on somebody that they know uh, to get them up into the, the higher tier. The level of skill. So uh, how adaptable are they? Um, can they be consistently good at every track, every type of track that we go to, like I was saying? So I want to see that. I don't want to like a driver who's only good at super speedways um, because there's only really four of those a year, really right. two. Uh, so it, it would really uh, be pretty depressing to see that. What team are they on? So what team do you like? We like Hendrick, but I don't dislike other teams. I like Stuart Haas. I like to see them do well, I like mm-hmm. Tony Stewart growing up. So what team do you like? What manufacturer do you like? Some people feel passionate about Chevy or Ford or, or Toyota. So maybe that plays into it. For me, I also look at personality. If you seem ungrateful or arrogant, or just I don't really want to give the reporters the time of day or the fans, I really don't like that. Um, like Kyle we were Bush. talking, yep, like we were talking about Kyle Busch. God bless him; he's a really great driver, one of the best out there that will be in history. And but his personality just sucks, so it's um, yeah. unfortunate. But that's definitely something I look at. And that's just competitiveness. How satisfied were you with that loss or that, that win? I liked, I always liked Kyle Larson as a driver. I thought he had a lot of skill. It's unfortunate to see him fall out of the sport for an unfortunate slip of the tongue. Um, but the right thing to do from all parties. Um, but for him, for me, I never felt as though he really wanted to be there um, right. when he lost, when he won, it just wasn't like he was excited. His, his heart and his head seem to be more so in dirt track racing. on um, a whole so, lot
1: of enthusiasm.
0: Yeah, things like that um, really play into what, where, who I like and who I dislike and who I choose to root for.
1: Yeah, and I think you hit the nail on the head with your description and all of that kind of bundles up why you like Chase. Um, my one suggestion would be choose somebody that has some longevity in the sport. So Mm -hmm. um, you all heard me mention the first race that I went to was the Cracker Barrel Country Store 400 in Atlanta, and Kevin Harvick won that. Um, Kevin Harvick is still in the sport today and is with a different manufacturer. And so it's it's nice to choose somebody who you know is going to be a part of the sport. Once I got back into it, I started back in Jimmy Johnson, and three years later, he's now retiring. So I've got to figure out who's filling the space in my heart and also filling the space in his car. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, uh, I think you're right, Bart. It's not a decision that we can make for anybody, but you'll hear us mention guys like Ryan Blaney, who drives the number 12 car, Um, just a guy that we really, really like, Um, fun personality personality. Uh, We probably like him a little bit more because he's friends with Chase. Guys like Alex Bowman, he races for the same team that Chase and Jimmy do. He drives a number 88 car, which Dale Jr. used to drive, and he just seems like a fun guy, always likes to post stuff of himself partying after he wins. He's got a couple wins now, so... Uh, just choosing guys that, you know, are going to be there for the long run is my advice after choosing the guy that decided to retire after, you know, I started following racing again. And then uh, I, th- I think choosing somebody who, you know, that you can just get back based on their personality as well as is, is always is always going to help out.
0: Yeah. So great questions. Great suggestions. So we hope that's helpful and keep them coming. All right, y'all, this week we decided the main topic of discussion will be the cookie-cutter conundrum. The point of the matter is that there are a ton of mile-and-a-half racetracks on the series schedule, and we want to talk about it. Why are they there, why do they exist, and why do they, for the most part, suck? All in the hopes that we can give some good solutions to NASCAR, who we think will be listening to this episode, uh, <laughs> to change some things to make them better. We put together quite the spreadsheet, uh, to figure this out. So like I was saying earlier, there are four types of tracks. Um, the short track is what predominantly is being screened from the mountains from NASCAR fans saying, NASCAR, we want more short tracks. The, the races that everyone consistently wants to go to that are the most popular in any ranking that you see are Martinsville and Bristol, which are half mile tracks. Um, those are the shortest tracks that we have on the series. Richmond, Dover, Phoenix, are all in new hampshire are all under a mile or a little over and then you have darlington out on an island by itself that's a about a one and fourth miles long but then you have eight tracks that are all one and a half they're basically charlotte made over um for the most part they're all quad Mm -hmm. ovals or tri-ovals um essentially the same and they're all built between 1990 and 2001 so it was really during the peak of when nascar was trying to grow the sport more so to uh, get more of a reach and, uh, well, ultimately they were achieving by getting the passive fan, which we'll dive into more. Um, then you have your super speedway. So Michigan Auto Club, um, Daytona, Pocono, Andy, uh, I guess would be considered one, and Talladega. Um, we all, there's also a few road courses on the on the schedule. Charlotte Roval is relatively new. It's been around for two years. Uh, Watkins Glen is which is the most popular, in my opinion, um, and the best and then you have Sonoma, which, in my opinion, isn't that great at all. Right. So we can definitely dive into these other tracks another day, um, but let's let's just focus in on these these tracks, um, the eight mile-and-a-halfers. Uh, so I'll just run through those real quick. Texas, Kentucky, Homestead, Miami, Chicagoland, Charlotte, Kansas, Atlanta, and Las Vegas. So, Chris, what do you think about these tracks? Do you think that the they have hope? Do you find excitement watching any of these?
1: Um, I think the only reason that – I find excitement in it is because one's close to me. Um, you know, I'm right down the road from Kentucky Speedway, but I think like you said, it really is, you know, it's tough because there, are um, you know, after 2000 um, or after, you know, the late nineties when these started being built is when it started to become more expensive to build these tracks. Um, there's not really one that piques my interest other than the one that's 30 minutes away from me but I I think we really do have a conundrum. It's they've invested, NASCAR's invested a lot of money, SMI's invested a lot of money in bringing these new tracks around. So is there something that we can do to these mile and a halfers that makes them more interesting?
0: Yeah. And I think uh, for the most part, I believe, I think it was last year, I can't even keep my year straight anymore, but um, the year that basically the teams wanted NASCAR to have a one-size-fits-all package. Yep. Uh, so you saw that back uh, spoiler on all the cars, which was about a mile high. Um, it was the size of a garter rail or Peyton Manning's forehead or <laughs> anything <laughs> that, that's large. That, gets, that brings in fans. Yeah. Peyton Manning's <laughs> forehead brings in fans. <laughs> so it was giant. But that only really gave a benefit to the super speedways and drafting. Um, it right. kept the the cars on the ground and kept their speed up, but for the mile and a half tracks, you couldn't pass for anything. So right. for the mile and a half speedways and the short tracks, it really ruined it. Um, so they learned that there cannot be a one size fits all. So for the past year, I guess that was in 2018, 2019, um, we saw a lot better racing. I can remember the Bush brothers racing to the finish at Kentucky. That was super exciting. I remember, yeah, I believe I it race. was. Uh, Kyle Busch and and uh, Kyle Larson fighting for the end at Chicagoland. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do remember some speedway, some of these mile and a halfers that have brought something exciting uh, to the end. Charlotte does from time to time uh, bring excitement, uh, but I just can't remember anything off the top of my head from Texas that's recent. Homestead Miami is kind of a snooze fest, in my opinion, oh, yeah. for the last race or the second to the last race of the year is super rough and generally pretty spread out. So I know there's so many different components that go into this. When they were building it, I know they had the business of it in mind. So how many people can we fit in the stands? How many people can we fit in the infield? It's definitely about getting a return on your investment when you're spending $300 million to build a track. Um, There's definitely the reach of making sure that um, where all of our tracks aren't in North Carolina and Tennessee Absolutely. and Virginia right there in a central location. You want to make it easy for anybody throughout the country to be able to go and, and watch those. Also the weather, you can extend the season having a earlier start and spending the first few races out um, or first in Daytona and then going out into the West in Phoenix, Las Vegas and California where the weather is a little better in February and March. Um, so there's so many different, components that go into that, along with the contracts they signed with these Mm -hmm. tracks for a good amount of time. NASCAR does now own a majority or not, I don't know about a majority, but maybe half of the racetracks um, as they merge with um, ISC. So there is a lot of money tied up there in the business of it, in the infrastructure. Uh, So there's definitely some components there, but I would say they're doing the right thing by changing the car setup. So that is adding some more excitement. Um, recently at the last race in Pocono and some other races that we've seen this year, um, they've been putting down the PJ four, which is a, a some sort of chemical component that adds grip to the racetrack, which keeps drivers uh, speed throughout the corners. Uh, so it right. keeps them together in packs, which has add, added more excitement. So I would say that that definitely is something that NASCAR is looking into to make racetracks better. But ultimately and I think NASCAR hears this and they're seeing it is you're going to have to do something different. So it doesn't mean throw these tracks away. You spent all that money. You want a return on investment. Um, but there will come a time where you're going to have to figure out what to do with it. Do you reconfigure it? Do you make it shorter? Do you make it a right. road course? Um, do you repave it? Do you add some banking in? I mean, what is it that you could do to potentially make this track more exciting? Um, because that's ultimately what the fan is wanting. Um, they want, I know NASCAR wants to take feedback from the teams, and they want to take feedbacks from the driver. Um, but at the end of the day, um, the the people that keep this sport going are the fans. So if they're not seeing exciting races and exciting tracks, then it's just not something that I see as sustainable uh, for for the future of NASCAR and keeping the same tracks that people don't really enjoy over and over. Right. Well, there you go.
1: You know, I think I think you make a good point there, Bart. And I One of the things that I saw and I was listening to an interview that was done on another podcast was the interview done with the owner of uh, SMI and talking about the different changes, like trying to figure out how to condition tracks and try to come up with a, a track like the Roval, and I know as as we were looking into all these different tracks, a track like Vegas does have an inside road course um, there 's definitely something to be said for the finesse that goes into the road courses and I was thinking about it as we were looking at all of them, and my first inclination was to say well, we could just add a road portion to each of these and then every track becomes a roval and then I sucked myself into the same thing that NASCAR did of creating something that looks alike and then everybody's going to get tired of that. I think you made a good point. We can't just throw them away. So what do we do to these tracks to make them so that that people want to enjoy it more?
0: Yeah, and another point is that I don't know that they have to be four or 500 miles long. I know that uh, mm-hmm. the whole point of this is finding a driver... It's the best of the best. So they can race short tracks, intermediates, uh, road courses, and they can drive super speedways. They're the best at all of it. They can race anything that there is. And there is that endurance component to it. Um, and also the fan getting their money's worth. And when they come mm-hmm. watch a race, they want to see a race. So if the, the race is short, you know, they didn't feel like they got their money's worth. But the races this weekend at Pocono, they are both, I believe, 325 miles. And I thought that was plenty. Um, it was like three hours in length. Uh, I think that was sufficient. And lots of
1: cautions too. And we still got it in (laughs) at that point. So yeah, it's, I mean, when you're running nine cautions and you still get it in, you know, that's the problem is when you get, if you were to get nine cautions at uh, Charlotte over 600 miles, you're going to be sitting there after the fifth hour of your nap, waking up to see, you, that you're just starting the third stage so mm-hmm. uh I, I definitely think that's a huge component to it
0: so then you you have darlington which isn't can, we're not going to group it in a mile and a half it was built in 1950 but it is 1.4 miles long and it's one of the best races that we have in my opinion um there's a lot of nostalgia and history behind it, it started mm-hmm. one of the first rat racetracks um and it's egg-shaped so why is it egg-shaped well, the the creator of this track wanted to build around a lake that he had, so he didn't want to ruin that lake. So he, they built the racetrack in, in egg shape. So one corner, two turns are, are very sharp, and the others are wider. So that brings a bit more excitement, it's something that's new and different, and, uh, and you don't see that every day. So it's exciting. It takes a lot of skill. Generally, you see somebody who's been in the sport a long time win those races because um, it is so difficult. So um, implementing those reconfigurations into these other tracks, I think would be something easier said than done. But that's definitely where my my mind goes is create something that people, people don't see every single week. Right. Um, when you go to a third of the schedule is the same track.
1: There's gonna have to be some creativity around what happens here or mm-hmm. else we're gonna start to lose people because like you said, this is eight tracks out of all out of all the races there are eight tracks some of them are run multiple times a year and it becomes difficult for a fan to watch that over and over again and it's the football had the same crazy conundrum and quandary <laughs> they were handing the ball off handing the ball off handing the ball off and watching a guy bash into a line of people and then it became the quarterbacks league and the quarterback became the most important person in football and they wanted to see yards and massive amount of points and now people are looking at it going oh okay well we want to see some more of the finesse we want to get back to the running backs we want to see people Mm -hmm. so I think that's what we need to do in racing I think you know the mile and a half it's a great idea but there's the, the finesse. There's no extra finesse that comes to it. There's nothing that's changing from race to race, and we've got to figure out. Uh, and NASCAR, we'll be the first to sit down in headquarters with you and talk through what we can do creatively. That's, at yeah,
0: that's a, that's a really great point on the football. Is, is We want to see a mix of if stuff, and we want to see excitement. Mm-hmm. Um, because I do think there is changes you can make to make them exciting. While the model and halfers get a bad rap, It's not even the worst track on the schedule, in my opinion. I think Mm -hmm. that's Auto Club Speedway. I've never seen an exciting race there. I cannot think of one exciting thing that's ever happened there besides the fact that they can go like five wide if they want (laughs) (laughs) to. Sonoma comes to mind recently. I think it was Martin Truex Jr. who won the last Sonoma. and He was like 27 seconds ahead of the, the next car. Right. On the tracks, like that, what? That's not exciting. And it was like that for a while. Uh, Michigan hasn't really brought much excitement here lately. Mm-hmm. Those are all tracks that are two miles plus and one road course. So um, I think it really d- depends on the setup, um, all the different changes that NASCAR can make uh, to make it more exciting. So it's not necessarily trash these tracks, but we would like to see more short tracks on the schedule. We would like to see more road courses on the schedule. So it's just, we want to see a mix of things. We want to see the, the quarterback throw the ball, but we also want to see uh, some, some finesse in running the ball as well. So that was a great discussion around the cookie-cutter conundrum. Ultimately, I do think that we want to have a whole segment on putting together our perfect schedule because yep. there's so much that we really didn't get into. We're just highlighting primarily mile and a mile-and-a-half halfers, uh, but more to come there.
1: Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll definitely do an episode around our ideal schedule. What race do you have going on behind you there?
0: That is the 1994 Brookyard 400, first one ever at Indy. Nice. You know who won?
1: No, I don't know who won. You want to guess? <laughs>
0: not at all. I don't want to guess.
1: Oh, okay. Surprise. <laughs> Speaking of not taking drivers who got there by their money, I'm just kidding poking fun.
0: (laughs) Moving on, everybody. We're going to talk a little bit about the double header that we had never seen before in NASCAR that happened this weekend in Pocono. What'd you think, Chris? Did you like it?
1: I really enjoyed it. Not only the double header, but uh, we mentioned it last episode, five races in three days. That is something that I don't know that we'll ever see again, at least at the same track but the doubleheader was awesome. I think it brought great racing. Like we talked about some of the changes that they made, I think they they absolutely killed it. Fun to see Kevin Harvick get his first win at Pocono after 38 tries. So he's now 1 for 39. And then Denny Hamlin who seems to always find a way, he got his fourth win of the season.
0: Yeah, Denny Hamlin's having a heck of a year. So is Kevin. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's what experience will lend you when you're in the sport of NASCAR. So I thought it was really exciting. I thought it was a really interesting concept for them to have two races back to back. Historically, Pocono, I believe is like a month apart. So it's really relatively quickly that you go there and you come back. Uh, so it's not so much different from the first time to the next time when, uh, the cup series goes there, I did just like the ridiculous amount of racing that was on. Mm -hmm. um had family in town they're like how many races are on this weekend well there's a lot there's five and we're gonna watch all of them (laughs) but each race um was really exciting i thought it brought um something different excitement um there was a ton of crashes in the truck series and the xfinity series uh, which all both ended up being ran on sunday because it never stops raining in this country
1: yeah and um, no matter where you are
0: yeah so ton, tons of wrecking, tons of carnage, um, so while you hate to see it it 's really exciting to watch um, in the Cup series, uh, tons of interesting storylines and um, just watching different drivers uh, that you don 't typically see in the front. Christopher Bell did pretty good, yeah. in the first race Eric Camarola was up there, um, Cole Custer, I think got his first top ten, so um, mm-hmm. I was talking badly about him the other day, uh, yeah, just he as far heard as taking you. off yeah taking off as a rookie so cool to see him do well um so all in all i thought both races were really really great
1: yeah i think it lent some you know it, it lent a different perspective because we we kind of got our first taste of what it's like to what practice is like so uh, like i alluded to earlier kyle bush made the mention of you can see what happens when we get a go at a track and we're able to tune up the car i think what you saw you saw Denny come in second. He was battling Harvick for the win on Saturday evening or night. And then he comes in and wins the race on Sunday and his scanner audio, he came over and he said, we're going to get him on. We're going to get him tomorrow. And he came out and he did it. So I think it shows not only what practice lends to the sport sometimes, but uh, I, I thought overall it was really good racing, and it's something that historically we haven't gotten at Pocono. It's been some of that single file. So
0: Yeah, and it's crazy that really Kyle Bush is the only one who spoke up and said, mm-hmm. I'm the biggest proponent against these people saying we don't need the amount of practice that we have. Exactly. Which I think everybody agrees. It is nice to have some level of practice, getting the car in line, getting in tune. Uh, practicing pit stops. But ultimately, do you need three happy hours? Do you need two happy hours? Right. I don't know that that's necessary. Um, but I it don't was think really. So. It was really interesting to see that Kyle kind of put his money where his mouth is, and you really saw a difference. He has not been running great this year at all. He is not running to Kyle Busch level that he has ran in the past. Right. So to see what he was able to pull off until him and Blaney got together and wrecked, um on the second race it was really um quite surprising that practice really impacts his race that much
1: yeah and i think one of the things that's interesting about nascar for some of our newer fans is in every sport you saw recently it actually came out today that the patriots are getting fined over a million dollars they're losing draft picks for cheating nascar is the one sport that encourages you to try and figure out the edge over the rest of your opponents. And I think Kyle Busch has figured it out over the years. I think he's got a great team that is not only dealing with the fabrication of his vehicle, but the engine of his vehicle. And then he's got people working on his crew that can tune the hell out of that thing during the race. And so I think for him, being able to make those tweaks may not be as much of the live adjustment as it is for the preparation, and so I, I think that's one thing that's really unique about NASCAR is you'll see adjustments being made the whole race. I did agree. I do agree with you. I think it's interesting to hear him be the only one who speaks up
0: uh, in a situation like that. So yeah, I really didn't anticipate that it would actually make a difference on him of all people. Right. I mean, he's been in the sport for a good while um about more than 10 years at this point um he's raced all these tracks many times because he's racing lower tier series so i didn't i didn't anticipate to see that so it's really interesting yeah. so we got a, a, a new race coming up this weekend um uh, the indy which has been around since 1994 and what do you think what do you think that's going to bring you excited about it
1: yeah i am excited about it and i i made mention of it i i know it's not one of the tracks that is rated the highest or scores the highest on a on a weekly basis or on a yearly basis when you're analyzing the tracks. But I I think it's a different setup and the different setup in Pocono and the trioval brought us or the triangle, sorry, not trioval. That brought us some interesting racing. And so I think the rectangle shape where you've got four sharper corners is going to bring something interesting with the new package and just the, you know, it's, it's a historic place. Like the kissing of the bricks is always fun to see. Um, so I, I think it's going to be a good race. It's interesting that for a couple of years now, it's been the big machine vodka 400 this year. It's the big machine hand sanitizer 400 uh, due to COVID-19. So that's just a, quirky little thing that they've done there since vodka and tequila companies now are making hand sanitizer for everybody. Yeah, definitely tune into that one. I think, I I think it'll be better and, and get a little bit more interesting than it has in years past. What about you?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. One thing that comes to mind when I watch the, the Brickyard 400 is that it always looks like no one is there. Of course there will be no one there this time, (laughs) but the reason why that looks like that is that the, That venue holds 250,000 people over that. So there's no way that many people are going to go watch that race, but it is such a historic venue and just the history and nostalgia and um, everything that comes along with that track. It's always fun to see NASCAR stock cars racing on that surface. Um, So I do hope that we see an exciting race also, I'm excited just for the future of, of that track, Penske, yeah. um, which is a, an owner of uh, Joey Logano, uh, Brad Kozlowski, and Blaney. Yep. Um, so he owns an IndyCar series yeah. and uh, just a large entrepreneur businessman. So cool to see him buy that and see what uh, his knowledge of NASCAR um, can can bring to the overall benefit of what we can see there in the future.
1: Yeah, and he's one of those guys that has had success in multiple different motorsports series. So I, I think that he'll be able to take the success that some of those sports that kind of bring that different fan base, like you and I have talked about, uh, why can't NASCAR have that? I think he'll be able to kind of weave some of that in as he's bringing his IndyCar experience into uh, a, a venue that also runs NASCAR and that he now owns. So,
0: there is one thing that I've always thought about as a kid growing up till now is that I I cannot imagine having to chug milk. I cannot stand <laughs> milk. After you've
1: been in a car that's 120 degrees for three hours,
0: gosh, I can't even watch. I don't even want want to watch people drink milk, let alone have to drink milk. (laughs) So that that piece of it, I could do without. But I I always thought that as a kid, I was like, I want to be a race car driver. But man, I'm gonna have to fake drink that milk. That is a little bit disgusting. Um, Yeah. So so stay tuned for that this weekend. Uh, It's on Sunday, July 5th. And if you're looking for it on TV, it's not going to be on Fox or FS1. Uh, this week is switching over to NBC, uh, so check a uh, check in on NBC for that. Not NBCSN, but NBC. Um they'll, they'll go back to Fox until the I believe it's the Chicagoland races when they generally switch over.
1: So you've heard us talk a little bit about um, IndyCar, Formula One, um, in some of our episodes the fan bases, and the difference in perception. What are we looking at talking about next week, Bart? I think we're going to
0: dive into that. I think we just fully get it out of my system because I can't stop comparing the two. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we just compare what F1 is and what NASCAR is. Uh, Obviously, F1 is is international. Uh, Mm -hmm. They have one race in Texas and in the U.S., but ultimately they're all over the place in countries that I honestly – have no idea where they're at, so <laughs> we we're going to dive in to what f one is how they are so successful um, and maybe how NASCAR can take some successes they've had and some plays that they've had and implement them within the sport to to drive up the the fan base and the attendance within the United States so we're going to dive into that next week, um, just having a discussion around um, what f1 does right what they do wrong what what we think that nascar can take away from yeah and then
1: we'll let you know who is chug milking this bricks at that point too so not me that is all we have for you all today we thank you all for tuning in as always to going in tight coming out loose Uh, You can follow us on Anchor or on Spotify. All of our episodes will be available. You can also go to goingintightpodcast.com and catch all of our episodes there and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at goingintight underscore pod. We look forward to talking to you all next week. Thanks so much.